Hey, it's been a little while since we've had this year. Uh, this is the last one of the semester, though, so uh, we'll see you again not next week, not the week after. The week after? I don't remember. Whatever. When will we come back? Um, so tonight, as usual, we'll go through three questions, and then you'll uh, tell me which one you want to discuss. I don't think we're going to get through all three, uh, especially not tonight. My voice isn't, uh, isn't fully there right now. But um, I was in Los Angeles last Shabbos, which is normally a great way to start off uh, an interesting question. But this one didn't actually come up in Los Angeles, but I was by the unusual century city where the rabbi is Rabbi Elazar Muskin. And uh, he sent me an email on Sunday that, or Monday that uh, someone had asked him a question that he thought would make for a good topic for a shir. They sent him an article that was written... Uh, that it was either in the, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times about a new way of disposing of human remains. And uh, he wanted to know what the halachic uh, validity of this new way of disposing of human remains. What, what new way? What do we know of? What are the ways of disposing of human remains? Burial, right? That's what we do, yeah? Cremation, right? And that's pretty much it, right? There, are, there aren't really any other ways of disposing of you. So uh, the, uh, the article reads, When Americans die, most are buried or cremated. Washington could soon become the first state, not Washington, D.C., the state, Washington, the first state to allow another option, human composting. The novel approach known as recomposition involves placing bodies in a vessel and hastening their decomposition into a nutrient-dense soil that can then be returned to families. The aim is a less expensive way of dealing with human remains that is better for the environment than burial, which can leach chemicals into the ground, or cremation, which releases earth-warming carbon dioxide. So essentially what they do is they put the body in a metal canister that's uh, 10 feet by 5 feet or something and uh, with a bed of organic material such as wood chips, alfalfa and straw. Air is then periodically pulled into the vessel providing oxygen to accelerate, accelerate microbial activity. Within approximately one month the remains are reduced to a cubic yard of compost that can be used to grow new plants. So, Shaila number one, should you do that to your loved one? Okay, Shaila number two, someone sent me an article, I think also either from the New York Times or from the Wall Street Journal, I'm not sure which one. Uh, the headline reads, Denmark, with an eye on Muslims, requires new citizens to shake hands. And the article reads, Denmark will require anyone who takes Danish citizenship to shake hands at the naturalization ceremony under a law passed on Thursday, which lawmakers say is aimed at Muslims who refuse on religious grounds to touch members of the opposite sex. It goes on, authorities in Switzerland and France have recently cited lack of assimilation in rejection of citizenship to foreigners who refuse to shake hands with officials. Now, they won't give them citizenship because they won't shake hands, a man with a woman, a woman with a man. And he goes on to quote somebody that the law, which will take effect on January 1st, I guess, I guess has taken effect, was required because of Muslim immigration to Denmark over a long time, and added that he hoped it would be followed by a ban on Muslim women wearing veils at citizenship ceremonies. And it goes on to say, some Muslim and Jewish groups prohibit or discourage their faithful from touching members of the opposite gender outside their immediate families. Um, and it goes on. 
what does it say? At the very end it says, in a certain city, Mayor Anderson said he regretted uh, the negativity about immigration, noting that the country had successfully integrated refugees from former Yugoslavia, built close ties to Germany, a former enemy. I'd be sad to see us portrayed as a xenophobic country and a xenophobic people, because we absolutely are not. We need to, we need, we, and we need the workforce. Okay, fine. So what did the person want from me? Well, okay, interesting, interesting article. What do they want? They want to know if you want to become a Danish citizen, is it Yahreg Valyavar? Meaning, there, why, why would it be Yahreg Valyavar? So there are two reasons why it might be Yahreg Valyavar. No? One is shaking uh, hands with the opposite gender, it might be in Abizrai of Gilea Rails. But even if it's not, let's say it's just not the Minik Yisrael. It's not what we do. But if they're making a law specifically targeted toward the abolishment of religion, what? Shmad. Shmad. That might be Yaharik Valyava. You want to know, do we consider that to be Yaharik Valyava? That's Shaila number two. Shaila number three. Shaila number three um, came in a few different forms. I'm going to try to mix them all together to make one, uh, one Shaila out of it, but you shouldn't think that any of this is a single story. A couple of different people contacted me recently. A uh, child of a parent who's getting remarried lives uh, out, out of town, not in the tri-state area. I was going to say not in New York, but you know, like someone said that uh, someone who lives out of out of the tri-state area now said that people ask him, "Where are you from?" He says, "New York." Oh, where in New York? North Jersey, right? You know, like. We think of all of it as New York, right? So uh, now outside of, uh, of, of the tri-state area, his, uh, his, his, his mother is getting remarried, and he believes that his mother's marriage that she's about to enter into is a forbidden marriage, that it is Asr min HaTorah. So his Shaila is, um, should he attend the marriage? Should he attend the wedding? Now, he values his relationship with his mother a great deal, but should he attend the wedding when he believes that the marriage is forbidden in Torah? And if he does attend the marriage, are there limitations? Should he not dance? Should he only attend one part, not the other? And if he believes that the Masaryk Kiddushin may not be aware that this marriage is a forbidden marriage in Torah, then should he inform the Masaryk Kiddushin that this marriage is a forbidden marriage in Torah? Okay, so we have um, turning your relatives into compost. We have... Uh, <laughs> We have uh, shaking uh, Danishes, and we have, you got to come up with clever names, right? And we have uh, and we have um, attending your parents' forbidden wedding. Three attending your parents' forbidden wedding. Okay. So what are the issues over here? In fact, there are probably three issues over here. There's the issue of attending your parents' wedding at all, even a permitted wedding, right? Where there there seems to be at least a word on the street that that's an issue about attending a, a child attending their own parents' wedding. So that's issue number one. Issue number two is attending any forbidden wedding, whether they're your parents or not, right? Are you allowed to attend any part of a wedding that is itself a forbidden wedding? Uh, okay, okay. I got two different shaylas, okay? So one shayla was, um, what was forbidden was that the person that his mother was marrying was not Jewish. Right? Um, the other Shaila was that the person his mother was marrying had had a relationship with his mother while his mother was still married to his father. So she's Asura Lebaal and Asura Leboa. And she's marrying 
the Bawel. Right? So, two different uh, Shailas, right? Both forbidden weddings, clearly. Um, so, our, so, okay, so sh- Shaila number three is, do you have to tell the Masada Kedushin that, hey, this is a forbidden wedding, you know, you have to be careful about this. If, you, if you're Choshesh that he doesn't know. Or even if you think he does know, but maybe tell him what's wrong with you. Like, how, how could you actually be Masada Kedushin at such a wedding? Good. So let's start with the simplest one. Is a child allowed to attend a parent's wedding? What could possibly be the problem with a child attending a parent's, a parent's wedding? So there is, like I said, word on the street that children should not be attending their parents' weddings. Um, there is nothing that I'm aware of in Shas or Rishonin or even early Achronin about this that suggests any sort of issue of attending your parents' wedding, provided that it's a regular permitted marriage. But the, the uh, very contemporary achronim are aware of such a minhag, and they start explaining the minhag. So, for example, uh, some suggest that it is, let's say, the, 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 uh, a child is attending his mom's wedding, and his father is deceased. So it will be a reminder of the deceased father, which will bring down the simcha at the new wedding. Meaning as mom is looking at her children from her first husband, she'll be thinking of her first husband at her second husband's wedding. Now that reason would only work if deceased, right? If he's uh, if the, the, the father was deceased, but not if it was a divorce. Another suggestion, they quote from Rav Yashiv Zichron Levracha, that uh, since children are obligated in Kibbut Ava'im, both Bechayov and La'achar Moso, how do I know that? Because the Gemara says it explicitly in Mesech's Kedushin, Mechavdo Bechayov Mechavdo La'achar Moso, you honor the parent while he's alive, and you honor the parent after he dies. So if you're going to attend the wedding of the of one parent after the other parent died, it's going to be a chisarin in kibbutz leachermosa. It's going to be chisarin in the kibbutz after the parent dies. Now uh, that is a great chiddush that that's considered chisarin in kibbutz leachermosa. Why is that a great chiddush? So it's a great chiddush for two reasons. First of all, who says that the deceased parent doesn't want this? Many times uh, when, uh, when one spouse dies, if they know that it's coming, they'll tell their spouse, I want you to be happy. I do want you to get remarried. I don't want you to be alone forever. I don't want you to be, uh, you know, my, my grandmother, Allah Shalom, was in Almana for 50 years, the last 50 years of her life. That's not a happy thing. That's not the way uh, a person should have to live. That's a, terrible, uh, that's a terribly sad thing. So, uh, so the, the, the deceased spouse may be happy about it. That's one. And the other reason why it's a great Chiddush is that it's not so pashat at all that mechavdol achramoso means you do what they want you to do. See, the, the Gemara discusses mechavdol b'chayev ketzah. How are you mechavid a parent while they're alive? So what do you do? So you, you know how to do this, right? You've done kibbutz avay. What do you do? Yeah, you give them to eat, to drink, acts of service. They need things, you provide them with things that they need. Acts of service. Of course, we should always add the caveat, and if the parent is not at all interested in the particular act of service that you are providing, then that is not a fulfillment of kavod. I remember uh, Rav Shachti used to tell us, if my children try to put on my shoes for me in the morning, I would kick them, I'd get very upset, because uh, what do you think? I'm not capable of putting on my own shoes. So uh, so it's only when it's the Ritzon Shaladam, right? It wouldn't make sense for me. I'm, I'm 41 years old, Baruch Hashem, in, in pretty good health. I, 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 uh, I would get upset if my kids started putting on my shoes for me. You know, that is not, uh, you know, I'm fully capable of putting on my own shoes. But, you know, I come home after a long day, and they want to make me, uh, you know, a nice hot tea or something, my throat is hurting. Okay, I won't complain, I won't complain. That would be, so that 
that Ritzon Shaladim Zeruk Valdo. So that would be, that's Mechabdo Bechayev. Mechabdo Bemosu Ketzad. How you Mechabi the parent after they die? So the Gemara does not say, well, if you know that they loved when you wore your gray suit, this gray? Your gray suit, so you should always wear your gray suit because uh, you know that it makes them happy when you wear your gray suit. They don't see you wearing your gray suit, they don't know you're wearing your, I don't know if they do or not. It's a suffix in the Gemara and Brachas, whether they know or don't know what's going on. I know that at every Simcha in the world, in the history of uh, the Jewish people, we always assumed like one day in the Gemara and Brachas that they know everything, that they're celebrating at the Simcha with us, they're watching and they're, uh, you know, and they're proudly shepping nachas as the Bar Mitzvah boy reads his, uh, you know, his Bar Mitzvah parasha. Maybe, or maybe not. We don't know. We don't know exactly what they know. We do believe that Brahmazaka Abba and that when we do mitzvahs and Maisim Tovim, they're enjoying some benefit from that in Olam Abba, but it could just be that they're having a really great day in Olam Abba and they don't exactly know why, but they just, you know, the Zechuyos that are uh, coming from down here are helping them out. But that's a two days in the Gemara whether they actually know what's going what's going on or not. So it's not about doing what they want you to do. The Gemara says the Gemara doesn't say it's not about. The Gemara says what it is about. What is it that when you quote your parents, you should speak about them in reverential tones, right? So you quote your father. You say within the first uh, year, you say Hareni Kaparas Mishkavo. Right, and after the first year, oh, he's a chronolavracha. Avi Mari is a chronolavracha. That's the way you're supposed to. One is supposed to quote a deceased parent. So that's the uh, the mechabdalachramosa. So to say that mechabdalachramosa means don't do anything that will allow your mother to have a relationship with a, a new husband, that's a little bit difficult. It's also uh, uh, um, strange that he only discusses a case of a. Uh, I would think it's a worse problem uh, when he's alive. If he's upset about the remarriage of the of, of, of his ex, right? That lechor will be a worse problem. I mean, that might be a real kibbutz aveim issue. That yeah, you may be being machabid your mother by going to her second wedding, but her second marriage. But it may be a lack of cover to the father if the father's unhappy about the mother's second marriage or unhappy about you supporting the second marriage or unhappy about you attending the second marriage. Particularly in the case where the second marriage is a forbidden marriage. Right, especially if it was an echel the baal echel the boel kind of case, right? So then, particularly, you might be upset about you know you're gonna you're gonna go to the wedding with that guy, that one who uh, who ruined my marriage with with your mother. So that that could particularly be an issue. A third reason why, and this is in the tshuva sefer and the tshuvas aselach rav from uh, from Rav, uh, Rav Chaim David Alevi in Chelek Dalit Simenon Zayin. He suggests a third reason. He says that maybe the reason is not to attend the second wedding is that so long as mom has not remarried somebody else, she might still remarry dad. Once she's remarried somebody else, she becomes a surah to her first husband. So how can you go and, you know, every child when their parents uh, divorce has in their back of their mind, if only they can get back together again. So you shouldn't go and celebrate what puts the nail in the coffin. No, it says, no, they cannot get back together again. Nafkamina would be, if that's the reason, if dad's a Kohen, right? Dad's a Kohen. Or let's say your parents were not ever allowed to be married in the first place. Uh, you know, uh, the, whatever reason, for whatever reason, you, you know, your parents were not allowed to be married. But but if uh, if if dad's a kohen, they were usher, uh, they were usher as soon as they got divorced because the kohen is usher begrusha, even his own grusha. So it wouldn't be the 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 final step. A fourth possible suggestion, also by Rechaim David Alevi, is that. Um, 
once the mom remarries, you are now obligated in Kibrav on a new person. You now have a Ki'ilu, a third parent. And we don't want to celebrate the uh, added responsibility that you have because particularly when it comes to the mitzvah of Kibrav Eim, it's a, part, it's a very, very challenging mitzvah. The Gemara tells us that Abaye was, uh, um, if, you could, if we could even say such a thing, but the Gemara says such a thing, was uh, happy that he never had the misayon of having a father and a mother because had he had a father and a mother, he doesn't know if anyone ever would have, if he ever would have been able to live up to the standard that's expected of proper kibbutz aim. So to now have that responsibility with another person, why do you have that responsibility with another person? Because there's a chiv of kavod for Ashes aviv and for bal imo for your father's wife and your mother's husband, even if they aren't uh, they, they they aren't your actual parent. Now, is that level of kavod the same as it is for a parent? It likely is an outgrowth of the level of kavod for a parent, meaning it's, it's probably a kiyum of kibbut aim when you're mechabed her husband, right? Meaning that's what, what generates the chiv of kibbut, as opposed to, let's say, uh, a person's father or mother. The Gemara says they both ask, hashkeni mayim. So what do you do? Av before aim if they're married. Why? Both he and the mother are chayiv in the covenant of the father. If they're divorced, what does the Gemara say to do? There's no preference. Either just leave it in the, between them and let them fight it out, or uh, you know, choose whichever you want. Unclear exactly what to do, but there's no preference if they're if they're divorced. But if it's a parent who's remarried and it's now stepdad or mom, right? So even though emo is chayiv because of the stepdad also. But your chiyuv to your mother is a direct chiyuv. Your chiyuv to the stepdad is an indirect chiyuv. Probably mom would come first. Right? Just like if you have parent versus grandparents. Even though your mom is chayiv in the covet of her parents or her in-laws. Right? But still parents would come first because that's a direct chiyuv. Whereas the chiyuv to the grandparents is only through the parents. It's an indirect chiyuv through the parents. Pashtas at least. So that's the... Um, the, the but, so you're adding a, 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 a new twist to your chiyuv of kibbutz HaVeim. So on the one hand you might say Baruch is giving us an extra zechus that you get more mitzvos and you have an opportunity to fulfill a new kibbutz mitzvah. So you have a new, uh, you know, this new gav is a new cheftah shal mitzvah for you that you're able to be mekayim the mitzvah of kibbut aiman. So it, nevertheless, it's uh, the added responsibility, particularly in the mitzvah of kibbut aim, maybe something that's uh, that, that's too much for a person to have. I'm reminded of the story of uh, Rabbi Hertzberg's Akronel of Racha. You know, just recently in the past in the past few months, we've lo- the world has lost some some of the greatest mechanchim of the uh, of the past fifty years. You know, we've lost some really really outstanding mechanchim. So Rabbi Hertzberg, who's my elementary school principal in uh, South Shore, he was mamish. The man was a, a, a legend. He was a, an absolute icon. He was, uh, we also lost Rabbi Gadisman, from uh, uh, was the founding dean of uh, founding dean. He was the dean of Hank for many many years. Um, so uh, some some legendary mechanchim. Reminded the story of Rabbi Hertzberg, where someone told them, told the family told me that uh, that a a, uh, a boy came with his parents for an interview his parents were divorced right so each and each of them were remarried so he came with four parents right with mom mom's husband dad and dad's wife for his interview and uh, he had interviewed in many different schools and each school had only two questions 
The two questions are who has custody and who's paying the bill. Right? That's all they wanted to know. Who's paying the tuition? And this boy walks into South Shore, and Rabbi Herzog, they come to Rabbi Herzog's office, they have to bring in extra chairs probably, right? And everyone uh, sits down, Rabbi Herzog just looks right at the boy and says, look how lucky you are that you have four people who love you and care about you. And that was it. They decided to send to, to the yeshiva. Meaning instead of thinking about, oh, what do I need? You know, I need the tuition money. I need to know how, how, how is this going to complicate my life dealing with a complicated family situation? He thought about the child. What does the child need? The child could probably use a little bit of chizim, and that's and that, that, that's that's mechanic. But anyway, so uh, uh, by bringing in that, that extra parent, that's what Chaim uh, David Alevi suggests that it's uh, that, that 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 maybe is why the minig is not to celebrate that, not to show up at the uh, at the wedding. Uh, not, there are many nafkaminas over here. What if the parent is deceased and not uh, and not divorced, divorced, not deceased? What if the parent is mochel? If it's a matter of covenant, they say no. Hey, go to the go to your parents' wedding. I would want you to come to my remarriage. You can go to to the other parents' remarriage also, right? So uh, so lots of in in this case, um, I, I, I saw that they quote from the from the Sefer Zahav Menachem. I don't know who that is. I mean, it says his name is from Menachem Chacham. I assume it's a uh, Sephardi rabbi who says, "No, Dafka, you should attend a parent's second marriage because of the psychological needs of the parent." And a parent very often feels guilty and feels like, how's the kid going to react? And is it going to be bad for my kids? Are my kids going to support me in this? Is it so dafka to be mechazik them, that you're okay with it, that you dafka should attend a parent's second marriage. But be that as it may, issue number one of just attending a parent's second marriage, not the biggest issue in the world. Meaning it doesn't appear anywhere. There's no issue. It's a good, it, the, the fact that there is such a shmua on the street is often helpful for a kid who would be very traumatic to attend the wedding. He can always say, oh, my rabbi said minig is not to attend uh, and, and the parent sort of has to accept that because that is, you know, out there. But it's not really a major halachic obstacle to get over to be able to attend the parent's second uh, second marriage. Good. Issue number two, more complicated issue. Going to a wedding that's a forbidden wedding. So we said two different cases. One was a case where it's an intermarriage, and one was a case where it's an isr leboel, right? Or let's say a kohen and a grusha, for that matter. What's the difference between intermarriage on the one hand, and we'll put in the same category, let's say a, uh, a, a gay wedding, right? In the same as intermarriage, versus Israel Boel and Kohen Grushin. What's the difference? What? Is Kiddush and Tovsin, right? By an intermarriage, by a man and a man, or you know, or a Jew and non-Jew, there's no Kiddush, there's no marriage. They, you're not actually attending a wedding. You're actually you're, you're attending what they believe is a wedding. By a Kohen and a Grusha, they're married, they're just living in sin. Right? By a, uh, an Isha with her Boel, they're married, they're just living in sin. So those might be different things. But, but let's go through what are the issues with attending, with attending such, a, uh, such a wedding. Um, and these are very complicated. And I should point out that when it comes to actual Shilas and actual situations, Every situation is different. The sensitivities of every situation is different. This is true of any shayla, but particularly this one. And it needs to be spoken over with someone who knows you, who understands the family, who understands the dynamics, or who at least you could explain the dynamics to. It's a very, very complicated calculus to figure out what the wise thing to do is and what the right thing to do is. And and, and hopefully those are the same. Uh, but, But here are, speaking broadly, the potential issues. One potential issue is the 
on some level or another that you are helping them get married. How are you helping them get married? Because uh, they wouldn't get married without a, without a crowd there to celebrate the wedding. They're getting married because, uh, you know, because they want to, but uh, having the crowd there makes it a wedding. Um, now, clearly, they could get married without you showing up, whether you show up or not. Even I, I, I've heard that people have gotten married even though they've gotten some response cards that said, I can't make it, right? People still somehow get married, right? So you're not really you know, enabling them to get married. They can get married without you, and that, therefore, is not a violation of the Fnei Midarai, so it would only be a violation of Misayaya Midarabanan, if that, if that, if it's even Misayaya. I'm not convinced that it's Misayaya either. Why? What? Unless you're paying for it, right? Meaning you're not actually doing anything to help the marriage along. Messiah would be you're helping them do it, but they could have done it without you, right? That's Messiah. What's a classic example of Messiah? The Nazir says, "Hoshali kosheliayin, pass me the kosheliayin," and he could have picked it up himself. But you're the one that's actually picking it up and giving it to him. It's just that he could have gotten it himself. So that's Messiah. Over here, you're not really helping them get married in any way. If you're going to go and find the Masada Kiddush, and then you're going to be running around, and you know, the, 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 they're going to say, oh, get the coast and get this, and find the Ksuba, and, you know, and you're going to be uh, doing things. And you're, so that ain't a chinam. If you play an active role in the ceremony itself, that might be Messiah, right? Not Lifnever, but Messiah. And even a Messiah. If the parent is a mumar, so the post can point out, the shach and Yeradeya and the Dagum Ravava uh, point out that there is no way of Messiah on someone who is a mumar. Now the Buddha writes that anyone who does an Avera bemazed, who knows that it's an Avera and is doing it anyway, there's no way of Messiah. So uh, in this case, even though the mom might still be an Orthodox Jewess and they're going to belong to an Orthodox shul and they're going to be Shomer Shabbos and Kashrus and everything else, but she knows what she's doing and she knows that it's forbidden. A lot of people have told her that it's forbidden, but she's doing it anyway. So it could be that there's no Isra of Misayaya. So Misayaya is not the most compelling Svara, provided that... Uh, one does not enable the wedding unless you pay for it when it otherwise would not have gotten paid for. Second issue and a more serious issue is lo sachnifu, not to be, uh, not to practice chanifa. What's chanifa? To uh, f- false flattery, right? Like encourage someone. You know, oh, you're such a great guy. You're so wonderful. Oh, this is great. This is, oh, I'm so happy for you. But, but no, you're not. And no, it's not great. It's actually terrible. You're actually making colossal sin that's going to cost you all haba. But I, I, I don't want, you know, that that's, makes me uneasy to say things like that. So I'm just going to pretend everything's great. And I'm going to say, yeah, it's all good. Mazel tov and smile and take pictures. And that might be a violation. Is that an actual issue in the Torah? According to the Urayim and Reish Memchas, based on the Medrash and Bamid Baraba, uh, it is a Los Torah that one is not allowed to uh, give someone the impression that they're supportive when they're doing something that's usher, not because of Messiah, not because of Lefnei Iver, but it's false flattery. Um, it's uh, also, according to the smack, a violation of Los Sahad Pnei Gadol, that uh, you know, because someone is in a position of authority, so you're giving them this, uh, this encouragement that they don't otherwise deserve. And... Um, and that, therefore, could be a problem. Rav Shechter Shlita uh, thought that this Isra would not apply if it's a child attending a parent's wedding. That it's, no one thinks the child's confiding the parent or the child is uh, encouraging the wedding or the child is even happy about the wedding. Why is the child there? Because a kid often doesn't have a choice. Meaning, if you're a friend, absolutely not. Don't attend a forbidden marriage. 
because by, by going and telling you've been married, you're pretending everything's okay. But if you're a child, you're not pretending everything's okay. It's your family, and these are the things that family has to do for each other sometimes, even though they don't like to do these things, even though they don't want to. There are many times where parents have attended their children's wedding where the parents were absolutely opposed to the wedding. But how do they not show up to their own kids' wedding? So they show up. I've been to such weddings where the parent absolutely was, was opposed to the marriage. Uh, and not everyone knows maybe at the wedding, but I know sometimes. Absolutely opposed to the marriage. But they show up because that's what you do. Because how could you not show up because you're a parent? So Shep thought the same thing would be true for a child attending a parent's wedding, that it would not be a violation of Hanifa, because no one thinks it's Hanifa. Everyone realizes that what you're doing is what you have to do as a, uh, as a child. There's also a potential problem, and I, I, I can't remember where I saw this in Ramesh's Chubas. Ramesh's Chubas somewhere, where he talks about being present amongst Ovre Avera. Even if you're not doing anything, you're not encouraging anything, you're not saying anything, watching and providing an audience... For Navera. I remember, I remember this came up, and maybe this, this is what the chuva was about, but it came up when I was uh, looking into the issue. My brother had an issue. My brother's a, uh, a Rosh Kolel in uh, Northern California. He's also Masada uh, Gitten. Uh, he's also a guy who builds mikvaos, and he's also a Mohel. He's like super Jew, right? So, uh, so my brother was doing a Mila in Northern California. A lot of times you have Israelis. Who, uh, who are not religious, but they want to have a Brit Milah. So they'll call him up and they'll ask him to do a Brit. So the, the case was the baby was born on Shabbos. So the, and the baby was healthy, so the Milah should be done the following Shabbos. Problem is, they're going to do it on Shabbos, and they're going to have a photographer there, and they're going to have, uh, you know, all the guests are going to drive to, to show up there, and it's going to be, uh, you know, videoed, and everything's going to be, I mean, the whole thing is going to be one giant Chil Shabbos. So should he do the Mila, and the Mila itself is Docha Shabbos. Should he do the Mila Bismana in that case? So if I recall, maybe that's where Rav Moshe had the tshuva. Rav Moshe said, no, don't do it, because you should not provide an audience for Chil Shabbos. By being there and watching it, that itself is a problem. Just, just being there to provide an audience for the Chil Shabbos. I don't remember what his raya were. I think he had a raya from a Gemara. I don't remember what it was. So I have to find that tshuva. I'm sure maybe someone will email me and tell me where the tshuva is and what the raya is, hopefully. So uh, save me the work. But, uh, but that might be an issue also. I mean, here you are, you're going to a wedding, and, and people have told me, several people have told me, that they got psakim from uh, various rabbanim, rabbanim chashuvim, who said you can go to the wedding, but only the su'uda and not the, uh, the chuppah. Why? So probably what they were thinking was, don't provide an audience for the Avera. Once the Avera is over, meaning the Maisa Avera of getting married is, was done, so now you're just going to a Suda where they're, uh, where they're there. Yeah? That's only if the Maser marriage takes place, but if it's like a gay marriage where there's no actual marriage, then it wouldn't be a problem for them. Um, I mean, then it's a problem of everything else, right? It's still an Isser. It's still an Isser. Right? Intermarriage, let's say. Right? It's still an Isser. The question is what the Isser is exactly, but it's the worst Avera in the whole world, right? We, it's a big discussion what the Avera is. Rav Shachter, the guys in Mashir, remember that in, in Eretz Hatzvi, in Simon Yitzayin, Rav Shachter makes this very important chilik between Kedushas Yisrael and the Uma Yisraelis. That uh, every Jew, Avbi Shachati Yisrael, is still a Jew. He still has Kedushas Yisrael. But there are certain things that you can do that will take you out of 
the nationhood of the Jewish people, out of the Ummah Yisraelis. And there are four things he lists. One of them is intermarriage. What exactly the Avera is, whatever, it, it, not really so relevant, but it's such an Avera that it takes you out of the Ummah Yisraelis. To the point that, um, even though, according to Shita's Rabbi Masech Yuma, that Yom HaKiburim is Mechaper even without Tshuva, but that's only for the Tzibur. And if you're not a part of the Tzibur, because you're intermarried, it's not going to be Mechaper without Tshuva. You know, things, things of that nature, that if you're not part of the Ummah, then you're, you're, you're on the outside. Um, and things that relate to the nation are not going to relate, are not going to relate to you. Another uh, possible uh, violation of attending an intermarriage is just altus chaber marasha. You're not supposed to connect yourself to a rasha. So by providing support and friendship to a rasha, right? So mission perkei You're not supposed to provide friendship and companionship to a uh, to a rasha. And I think uh, the, the the most fundamental one is you know, what the Gemara Megillah talks about. When the Jewish people were nanamis, what was so terrible about it? That, so the Gemara tells us, you're not supposed to uh, partake in a celebration that celebrates terrible things, that celebrates things that we shouldn't be celebrating. So I, I would think, I didn't like this chilek between the chuppah and the su'uda. I thought, what's the su'uda celebrating? It's celebrating something terrible. So how could you go and partake in a su'uda that's celebrating something that's absolutely terrible. So I thought if you have the ability, a guy, a Talmud might call me up, his first cousin was getting married to a non-Jew. And the cousin was trying to tell him, please come, you mean so much to me, you mean, I really need you there, I want you to be there. So I thought he has to explain to the cousin, look, I love you so much, and because I love you so much, I can't come. Because I think you're making a, a, a mistake of historic proportions. Meaning your children won't be Jewish. Like, how can I, how can I come? And, and, and you can't uh, and one of his siblings got a psak you can go but only for the suda not for the uh, ceremony I don't know I wasn't comfortable with that at, at all but uh, you know this is um, it's a difficult difficult circumstance to, uh, to be in so um, for a child Shachta thought all of these things you can negotiate around because you're not celebrating you're not doing it you're just being there because you have to be there for the child, for the parents' wedding, but a friend, a cousin, huh? I don't know. That I would think would be would be uh, problematic. Um, now, what about the third, the last issue we said? What was the last issue we said? Should he tell the Masada Kedushin? Does he have a responsibility to tell the Masada Kedushin? So would you say? Why yes? Why would he? Masada Kedushin, what? I'm sorry. The, the Messiah okay, but let the Messiah do what he does. Uh, so if your Chalashish Messiah doesn't know, he's being Messiah, he's being Messiah, but and if you think he doesn't know, he may want to know. So it could be that you would tell him just because, you know, for his own benefit, that, that you shouldn't, uh, that here a person is about to do something that, he, that re- he really doesn't want to be doing, he doesn't want to be associated with, but not every Messiah thinks that they have to ask all the questions. You know, a lot of times you have a guy who's a Rebbe in Yeshiva, like me, a Rebbe in Yeshiva, and every time in Messiah Kedushin, it's for a regular guy who's marrying a regular girl, so you don't think you have to ask, is it? Or it seems that way. You learn quickly that no one is totally normal, you know, we're all, we all have our own quirks, you know, but, uh, but, but, but you know, you don't think you have to ask, is, is mom Jewish? Is grandma Jewish? Is the, you know, you don't, you don't think you have to ask these questions, but uh, so it could be the Messiah Kedushin just never thought to ask these questions. 
He never thought to ask the guy, oh, by the way, how did you two meet? Was it when you were both married to other people? Right? He, didn't, he didn't think. He didn't think to, to, to ask such questions. Right? What? Not a normal question to ask. Right? So it could be that he has no idea, in which case maybe you should tell him. But should you be the one to tell him? If you're the child... I don't know if you should be the one to tell them, because anything that gets traced back to you, that's going to ruin your, your own life and your own relationship with your parents. So maybe uh, have someone else maybe inform the Masada Kiddushin. Why else would you have to tell the Masada Kiddushin? So this, my, the other reason to tell the Masada Kiddushin, Masada Kiddushin would be saying brachos. So it might be brachal vatala. Ah, so that depends why it's a forbidden marriage. If it's an intermarriage or a gay wedding, so then mom should be brachal vatala. Well, gay wedding, sorry, because you should, should realize, right? You, you should uh, probably be aware. But, uh, but, but, but in intermarriage, let's say he doesn't know. He th- what, what, what I mean, what, how could he not know? He doesn't know the person. That, yeah, sometimes he doesn't know. He doesn't know. The person says, I, I'm a convert. Uh, do you know what basin converted the person? Do you know if they were actually makabal mitzvahs when they converted? You know, there, there are situations where we've had uh, conversions that happened. By, uh, where, where the person clearly was Mechal the very first Shabbos Meikara, right, right at the outset you know, in, in, in certain circles it's accepted in, in, in certain circles of Judaism that people study for conversion they do conversion and then they ignore it for the rest of their lives I mean, then they ignore everything that they studied and learned for the rest of their lives that's not acceptable la halacha. so a person might say, yeah, I'm a convert and the Sagittarius thinks that they're Jewish, but they're not Jewish so it's going to be a brachal of Atala that he's going to be saying but if it's a Kohen and a Grusha, if it's a Boel and the Isha that was Nivelas, then it would not be a Brachal of Atala because the, the Kiddushin is Tovsin, at least at the end of the day. So the Chara would not be a Brachal of Atala in, uh, in such a case. Bottom line is, these cases are complicated. These cases need a lot of Eitzah, and you need to have private conversations if, if, if Loa Leinu, Rahman al such things were to ever come up. Okay? With that, we'll end the semester. Have a great job, everybody.